Um, guys, welcome to Established Church. My name's James. Like Chili said earlier, I'll be speaking to us today from God's Word. Happy Mother's Day to the mums here. Um, I'm, I'm still... No, thanks, mum. Um, I think I'm like 45 minutes away from a food coma because we ate a lot of food today. Um, but I'm excited. And just on the back of what Chili said, like the series that we're starting, it's a four-week series. It actually wasn't scheduled in in the long run. Like we, This is something that we've very much... Um, felt God leading our church into that we need to do a series on rest. Um, we think it's quite timely. We kind of wanted to, we're thinking about the end of last year, a bit of insight. We, we plan our preaching calendar from around like September. We kind of like map out and pray and seek out what we're going to teach next year. And a few months ago, we, we felt God really leading us to, to preach on rest. And I'm really excited for this series. I think it's something that I suck at. Uh, it's something that I, yeah, I think if I don't get on top of while I'm young, um, it will be really detrimental to me in the future, not just my physical health or mental health, but my spiritual health. So I'm really excited for us to um, speak into this series just for four weeks on rest before we jump into 1 Corinthians um, for the rest of time. No, it's only like 16 weeks, so it's a long time, um, but we're excited. It's going to be a good time. But like Chili said, we're wrapping up our series. This is kind of, last week was kind of like the last sermon in this series, the We Are series. I never listen to podcasts. I think of this as like a bonus podcast. I know you get to the end of a podcast series and you're like, oh, it's over. And then the next week you see a bonus one. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, we're still in it. We're still finding out more. This is one of those sermons. Um, so we're looking at We Are hospital, uh, Hospitable today, not hospital. I'm going to pray and then we get stuck into it. You want to bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's not just some book that we, we read information from, but it's, it's words of life that transform our hearts from the inside out. Father, we pray today that you do that, that by your spirit, we pray that you shape us to be more like your son. Help us catch this biblical vision of hospitality and what it could look like in our lives and how you could use it in our lives. Father, we pray that we can do this for your son's name and for his fame. We praise in Jesus' name now. Amen. If I was to ask you to finish this sentence, all right, the sentence is, the Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. Like, just think in your head, if I was to finish that sentence, the Son of Man came, like, what would I say there? How would I fill it in? The Son of Man came. He came to fix what was broken, maybe. Maybe that pops into your head. Maybe Bible verses throughout Mark. He, he came to seek and save the lost, pop into your head. Maybe he came preaching the word. Maybe he came to establish God's kingdom on earth. If I was to ask you to finish the sentence, we should go. So it's a little bit of change of tax. So from the Son of Man came to if I was to change it to we should go, like what would jump into your head? We should go run for a political office. We should go use social media more effectively. We should go into the Mall of Cronulla, get a box, stand on it, and, and preach the Bible. We should go and, and try and adapt culture and change culture to be more like what we're like. How do you finish that sentence? We should go. How do you finish the sentence? The Son of Man came. Because we see that the Bible completes, it completes these sentences in many ways. But the, the Bible says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. I don't even know how. The Bible says that Jesus came eating and drinking. So while Jesus' purpose on earth was to seek and save the lost, 
It was to die on the cross for us and reconcile us to God so we can have eternal life with, with Him in heaven for, forever. That was, really, that was the purpose of why He came, but the method of what, how He came, it was through practicing hospitality. And as we'll see today, we're invited to do the same. God invites us to be hospitable. And like I said, we're finishing up a 10-week series. Feels like it's been a while um, in like, looking at who we are in Christ, and not just who we are in Christ, but how that shapes how we're to live out our lives. So we have our identity of who we are, but how do we actually take that? Because it's so easy just to have this head knowledge. Yeah, I'm, I'm called to be someone who makes disciples. Or we looked at last week, oh, I'm, I'm sent. Like, I'm called to be sent. And it's easy like, to think about in your head, believe in your head, but it's so hard to go from your head to your heart and then to your hands. And it takes God's spirit to do so. But that's what we've been doing over the past 10 weeks. And tonight we're finishing up by looking at how, how we're to be hospitable, how we're to practice hospitality. And we're going to look at two things today. We're going to, we're going to, like the passages that Chile read out, they're more springboards, the Hebrews 13 and Luke 19. We're going to be jumping around a bit. But we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at what is hospitality. And then from looking at what is hospitality, we're going to look at how we practice hospitality. Hopefully it's really practical, um, quite simple, but that's the how of hospitality. So first to kick us off, um, I'm just going to read the first two verses of Hebrews 13 again, if you want to look at them with me. This is the what of hospitality. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. By doing so, some, have, um, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I was going to say I showed out the gate. I do not know what it looks like to show hospitality to angels. I've looked at that passage. I've read into it. I don't think I've done it. I've had you guys over. I don't think you're angels, right? I love you guys, but that's not you. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure what that means. I do know it's referencing Genesis. I just want to get it out of the way straight away. It's re- referencing Genesis 18 um, in the Old Testament where Abraham shows, he shows hospitality to two strangers. And he later finds out that the the strangers that he, he welcomed, that he, he loved, that he cared for, he found out that those strangers were actually angels sent by God. So when, when, we, when the author in Hebrews 13 is reminding his readers of, you could be showing to angels, like that's kind of him underlying guys, like this, this is important. Like not only just showing hospitalities to your neighbour or your friend or to someone that you don't know, like, you could be showing hospitality to, to, to heavenly beings. Like, this is a big deal. And that's what he's kind of underlying there. But what exactly is hospitality, right? The word hospitality, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do it now. In the original language, because it kind of sheds light. Um, the, the Bible's written in the kind of ancient original language in Greek. Um, and in the Greek word, because the Greeks know how to write so much better than we do, um, in their language, they, they use hospitality. But when they use it, they mean Love of stranger. That's how it kind of immediately translates to. I think it's important as we, as we move forward to, to know that it means that. Because loving, like hospitality isn't just loving those who are around us in our inner circle. Like we, it's loving those outside of that. Like one theologian would define it as giving loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. But the definition that I want us to work with today is on the screen there. Um, this is what I kind of want to. This is the lens I want us to view the word hospitality through, as it keeps coming up time and time and time again. It says, hospitality is expressing the welcome of God the Father to all through tangible acts of love 
ideally through giving food, shelter, and relationship. Right? So hospitality is, is expressing the welcome of God, the Father, to all through tangible acts of love, ideally through giving food, shelter, and relationship. That's the lens. That's the lens that we're going forward through looking at today. But why do we show hospitality? Like why, why do we do it? In the 21st century even, why do we show hospitality? And to put it simply, it's because God has been hospitable towards us. Even when we were living as his enemies, like God himself sent his son to die for us. Through the work of Jesus, the Father opened up the door and invites us in to, to dine at his table. He welcomes us into his house, into his presence through his indwelling spirit. God has shown his kindness to, um, to us over and over and over again. Despite us being outsiders, despite us being strangers, despite us being in rebellion against him, God shows hospitality to his enemies in saving us as sinners and inviting us to eat at his table in his eternal home. And we demonstrate that we are truly appreciative and thankful and that we rejoice in that news and that divine hospitality that's been shown towards us by practicing and showing hospitality towards others. The hospitality that we have received, we extend to those in our lives, to those outside our normal friend circles. We extend that to the stranger, to the outsider. That's the primary reason, that's the, that's the base reason we show hospitality, because we've been shown hospitality towards us. We're also commanded to do it. makes it kind of easy. We're told to do it in God's word. Romans 12, it should be up on the screen. Romans 12, 13 says, Share um, with the Lord's people who are in need. Full stop. Practice hospitality. Full stop. Just straight there. He just says it straight up. Practice can also mean like pursue hospitality, like strive to show hospitality. Again, in 1 Peter um, chapter 4, 8 to 10, it says this. It says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Thank God that he put that last line in, that last two words, offer hospitality without grumbling. Um, we'll get to that later. And it's not just for Christians who are to eat, who are to eat and practice hospitality with. It's not just that inner circle, it's just not the people who are easy, it's just not those who kind of fit neatly into our lives. Like we see primarily throughout the New Testament, that we're to practice hospitality to the outsider, to the stranger, what, the church, like what Jesus would call the lost. To those who believe differently to us, to those who wouldn't call themselves Christians, and we see this in Luke 19, um, which Chili read out earlier. We see Jesus enter a town where he's invited to eat um, with a wealthy tax collector named Zacchaeus. And we read this story, and we think it's cute and sweet that Jesus would eat with this kind of short, hard-to-love guy called Zacchaeus. Like, he's a bit of a, an irrit. People didn't like him in town. He was kind of off to the side. But to the people who, the original audience, like, this wasn't some cute... Like, pithy little story, like, oh, that's so sweet, Jesus eats with the person that's hard to love. Like, this was dangerous. Like, this was a dangerous, disruptive story. Like, it disrupted the status quo of how people view the, the social hierarchy of society. And that's first, because the first reason that is, I'll give you two reasons that it upset them. The first is 
because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I know we preached on this probably like three months ago. I think Lee preached on it. But Zacchaeus is a tax collector in the first century. Tax collectors are viewed as like the worst of the worst. They, they were the absolute scum of society. And the, the reasons are, first, no one likes paying taxes to the government. Like no one volunteer, would volunteer. If you didn't have to pay taxes, not many people would pay taxes. And then you add in the d- dynamic that it's an oppressive, abusive regime, which was the Roman Empire at the time. And then you put in the dynamic, which is the second point, not only did they cheat the people um, who they collected taxes from, but the tax collectors were mostly Jews, and they were kind of being traitors to their fellow kin, um, other Jews, and charging them money for the oppressive regime. So tax collectors were their friends, their neighbours, people who are part of their community who have betrayed them and they are squeezing every single penny they can get from them, whatever, that, um, whatever the cost to that was, however they did it. You can imagine how hated and despised tax collectors were. In that society, the two lowest rungs on the moral ladders were t- tax collectors and prostitutes. They were the two lowest rungs of the moral ladder. And who do we see Jesus eating with on a regular basis? Tax collectors and prostitutes. And we read that and we think nothing of it. Like we have the ATO, cool, they take our taxes, whatever. Like we live in a hyper-sexualized society. So when many people think of prostitution, they don't really think much of it. But what if Jesus ate with the moral bottom of our society? How do you feel if Jesus ate with a sex offender, with a pedophile? How would it make you feel if Jesus came to the scene and he had lunch with some white supremacists? Men who were spreading hate speech. How would it make you feel if you, if you turned on the TV and Jesus was on the scene today and he was eating a meal with ISIS terrorists in a cave or... Um, people are part of uh, Boko Haram in the Middle East. How did that make you feel? Confused? Upset? Maybe even just me saying the first two kind of stirred up a, a response in your heart. We're like, that's not okay. Makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Angry, even. And that's how the original audience who Jesus was speaking to felt when they heard tax collector. And the second one is that Jesus broke boundary markers. Um, that's, this is how Jesus upset them by eating with Zacchaeus. And this was a, because, that's because meals were a big deal in the first century. Right? It wasn't something that like, you get off the train, you smash a burger, you go home, you watch Netflix. Like, meals are a central part of community, of life, of fellowship. It's what you did. Um, it's what your, your world revolved around. And Tim Chester in his book called A Meal with Jesus, where I got a lot of this stuff from, by the way, hit it up, it's a great book, it's really short. You can probably read it in an afternoon. A Meal with Jesus, he talks about the idea about how meals don't only bring people together, but meals keep people apart. Um, and it, you call it boundary markets. And this is the dark side of hospitality. And we've seen this throughout history. We see examples of um, people using, eating and drinking as ways to exclude people. You don't have to think too far back. Just think in the last five, maybe 60 years um, with um, 
blacks not being allowed to eat in the US, in Australia, Aboriginal people were, were, were barred from eating in certain restaurants because of the colour of their skin. In the UK, famously, there were signs um, put up that said, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Like meals are used to, to separate people. And even now in Sydney, in the 21st century, in 2019 in Australia, people largely eat with other people they're really close friends with, people who are family, people who think the same they do, who believe in the same things they do, more or less people who have the um, same skin colour as they do. And most of us eat with people who are like us. But Jesus kind of broke, using meals, he, he broke these boundary markers. And he ate with sinners and tax collectors. It was such a core part of his earthly ministry. In Luke alone, in the Gospel of Luke alone, there's over 50 references to Jesus eating and drinking with people. I'm just going to show some highlights. I'll be up on the screen because I'm just going to kind of blow through them. I don't know if you can really see that. No, you can see that. Right? This is just some of the references. So you've got in Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. In Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus anointed, is anointed at the home, the home of Simon, the Pharisee, during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is eating a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. We saw Jesus invite himself over to Zacchaeus' house in Luke 19. In Luke 22, we see the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. And in Luke 24, we see the risen Lord Jesus has a meal with the two disciples, uh, with two disciples in Emmaus, and then he later eats fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. That's just like that's just a brief highlight reel of the central part of Jesus' ministry. One theologian, uh, Robert Harris, says this. I think he sums it up well. He says in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. So when I first read that, I thought this is the Jesus I want to follow. Like, sign me up. This sounds great. Eating and drinking, that's ministry, that's full-time ministry, I'm keen. Like, sign me up for that one. Like, Jesus spent so much time eating that people accuse him of being a glutton and a drunkard. The heart of Jesus' mission, his mission strategy, was a long meal stretching late into the evening. Jesus did evangelism and discipleship around a table, some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, maybe, maybe it wasn't sourdough, I'm not sure. And a large jug of wine. Okay, if you don't read that or hear that and it doesn't stir your affections and fire up for mission, like, I don't know what will. And the awesome thing is, like I said earlier, I think the craziest thing is we're invited to partake. We're invited to, to join with God. Because of who we are in Christ, we're invited to do the same. Because eating and drinking with each other is so ordinary, but yet it's so pregnant with potential. I'm not sure you ever heard of um, uh, a Christian author. Her name's Rosaria Butterfield. Um, she wrote a really good book. It's called A Gospel Comes with the House Key. I've, I've seriously given, I don't know who has mine at the moment. I've given it to like, everyone in my GC. So if you have it, bring it back. Um, I had, had braids this sermon, so it's all good. But it's, it's, it's such a good book. I highly re- recommend getting it. But her story is, right, she was a far-left, um, what was she? She was a far-left radical lesbian feminist 
She was a tenure professor at Syracuse University in the U.S. with a specialty in, uh, let me just read this to get it right. Her specialty was postmodern critical theory in literature. All right? So it was a uh, far-left, radical feminist lesbian who had a, a degree in postmodern critical theory in literature. She wasn't the prime candidate for the Jesus story. She wasn't what you would call a like, kind of low-hanging fruit. She wasn't an, an easy target. Uh, she was quite... Uh, hostile to Christianity. Um, and long story short, she was writing a book on how Bible-believing Christians were kind of ruining everything. They were everything that was wrong with the world at the moment. They were a threat to society. But as any good researcher does, she, she thought she would go out and, and research and actually meet a Bible-believing Christian. And she wrote an article in a New York paper, I think it was the New York Times, she wrote an editorial kind of... There was a Christian men's conference and she was very critical of it um, in a very straight-up way. And there was a pastor who um, wrote in response to her editorial. And she received this email from him, and it was, it was thoughtful, it was loving, it was gracious. Um, and it was a response where he, he invited her over to her house for dinner. And she's like, perfect. Like, this, this, is, this is easy. I'll go along, I'll, I'll do some research, and I'll, I'll, this will be great. I'll ammo for my book. And she went along, and she talks about how she was... It's really quite profound. She, she talks about how she was sitting in the driveway of the pastor's house. And she was just like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, this, he's the enemy, he's everything that I'm against, he's the, the reason I'm, I'm completely against all this Christianity stuff. And, and she, she talks about how she got out of her car, she went to the house, like she knocked on the door, and the first thing she has felt from the pastor and his wife was just this loving, warm, gracious invitation to come in where she, she shared a meal, they talked, they, they shared their stories. She talked about how she went back. She went back to dinner again, and she went back again, and she went back again, and eventually they started talking about God, which led to them, uh, them inviting her to a Bible study. She went to a Bible study, which led to her going to a church service. And now today, um, <laughs> which is crazy, she's married to a Reform Presbyterian pastor. Um, she's a foster parent, and they run a Christian commune out of their house. And this is what she writes about hospitality um, in her book. And I think it hits the nail on the head. She has radically ordinary hospitality, which is a great line. I've, been, I've stole it for the past year. Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbours and neighbours as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a label or to a category or label. Whether that's labour, liberal, greens, left, right, gay, straight... And they see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes to the house key. Like I think that last line, the gospel comes to the house key, is beautiful. She also talks about how not long after she became a Christian, um, she would speak at different places. And she went to a guy called Tim Keller's house, an author. You might have heard of him. And one of the things that struck her most is that when she went to his house, they just gave her a house key. And they go, why are you here? Like, this house, you can do what you want in this house. It's yours. Come and go as you please. Here's the house key. Feel free to use anything that we have. I think it's just a beautiful little illustration of, of the gospel. And it opens up our lives. Now it turns out that the gospel pairs really, really well with a good wine, 
like a good homemade pasta, nice bread, good company, and just loving one another, listening, caring. I think that pairs really well with the gospel. And before we finish up on the how of hospitality, I want to quickly highlight the, the difference between biblical hospitality and, and what we would call entertainment. Because many of us, when we hear the word hospitality, right, we think of having like people come over our house, it's picture perfect, you know, you've got the fine china, you've got the dining room, it's, everyone's on their best behaviour, everyone's dressed up, I don't know what you picture. Or some of us, you might picture like a, a trendy magazine cover where it's this kind of long table, um, like with like reclaimed wood, I don't know, hardwood, where people are sitting around it together and it's beautiful, warm lighting, like really nice food on the table. Everyone looks like a Scandinavian model and everyone's perfect, all that type of stuff. And I would say both of those aren't biblical views of what hospitality is. They're not wrong or right. Like if, if you've got a, a reclaimed wood table, hardwood table, all the power to you, bless you, go for it. But the issue with this view of hospitality is that it just completely rides off 90% of us in this room. Like, what do you do if you rent a one-bedroom apartment? What do you do if you live at home? How do you do that? What do you live with three dudes who clean the house once every full moon? Like, what, what do you do if you don't know how to cook? What do you do if you don't have much money? Or you don't have a matching dining set yet? What if you're not a Scandinavian model? I don't know. What do you do? How do you practice this radically ordinary hospitality? Because that's not what the New Testament's writers mean when they talk about hospitality. That's entertainment. And you can see it on the screen. I'm going to compare and contrast just real quick the difference between entertainment versus hospitality. And the first one is entertainment is about exclusion. You invite the in crowd. It's a way of showing um, where you land in the social hierarchy, based on what parties and parties, like what parties you do and don't get invited to, where hospitality is about inclusion. It's about having an open table. It's about having a table where everyone's invited, not just those who are cool or who are easy to get along with. Entertainment is about performance. You show off your home, your cooking skills, what money you have because you can buy the fancy wine. Where... Uh, where, hospitality, sorry, where hospitality is about service and showing tangible love. Entertainment is, um, there's a clear line between host and guest, where hospitality blurs the lines between being a host and a guest. And we, this is what we see throughout Luke. We see Jesus, when he goes to someone's house, when he invites himself over to someone's house like Zacchaeus, he's not just a, he's not just a guest, but he's also a host. He's also participating. He's, he's bringing something to the to the dynamic. Like, we, we act as both hosts and guests. Like, he came to not just receive, but to give. And this is, this is actually a clear point for us in GCs. Like, the reason we do GCs, is many reasons why, but when you show up at a GC on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or whatever it is for you, like, you come as a host just as much as a guest. Like, even if you're not the host of the, the gospel community or you're, which is our small groups, by the way, if you don't know what a GC is, I'm just kind of chucking that out there. Like, you don't, even if you're, like, the leader, you're not just the host. But we all come to, to give and receive. You come to contribute. Entertainment is sporadic. 
Like you might schedule it weeks out in advance, like where it's locked in your calendar, you don't move it. Um, and you kind of treat it like it's an event, which there's nothing wrong with, by the way. But hospitality, at least biblical hospitality, it's a way of life. You, 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 it's, it's a part of your, your rhythms. It's a part of what you do as a Christian. Like sure, there's an event every now and then, you make it really special, like there's nothing wrong with that. But it, doesn't, it can be spontaneous. Hey, maybe it might just be tomorrow night, someone needs to come to your house. So it's scheduled in, what do you do? Do you have a breakdown or do you open your house up? It's an open door policy. Entertainment is about, um, reposi- uh, how do you say that? I can't say it now. Yes, that's it. Thank you. I did that on purpose, so you guys can be a part of it. Um, not really. Um, like, and it's like, you have me over, I have you over. Oh, you, you, you paid for it last time, I'll pay for it next time. Again, nothing wrong with that, but that's not biblical hospitality. Right? Like when you buy someone coffee or lunch, it, does, like it doesn't always have to be, hey, you'll get it next time. It doesn't have to be this expected thing. Where hospitality is an act of generosity. You give and you expect nothing in return. You don't give to better, um, better yourself or set yourself up for the future. You give because it's an act of worship, an act of love. Because giving in itself is a gift. Hospitality can be an entry point to living out the Great Commission. Like we looked at last week, we're, we're called to be sent. We are sent people. We're called to live on everyday mission. We're called to obey the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all people, all nations. And hospitality is such a great way to start doing that. But how do we live um, lives of such radically, um, radically ordinary hospitality? And like, while it's not complicated, it doesn't mean it's easy. But there are four ways I want to finish up on how we can practice radically ordinary hospitality. And they don't all have to do with eating and drinking. Only one does. I say that while I'm about to take a drink. Which feels like... 40 minutes in my head when I do that. Um, so the how, that's point two. And the first way we can do this, the first thing that we're called to do, is welcome everyone you meet. And this one it might sound silly, it might sound like a bit trite, or maybe it's a bit overly simple, but it goes a long way. Something that I always saw as a kid, like when you meet someone, you look them in the eyes. For me, maybe I shake their hand, look them in the eyes, ask them their name, say my name, right? not overly complicated, not groundbreaking, and this is the hard thing. You remember their name, right? That's why you're tired. I don't know if you do this. When you shake someone's hand, this, uh, this is maybe reveals more about my own heart. I'm so focused on the handshake. I'm like, oh, don't do it. Sloppy fish. Don't, hopefully it's not too sweaty. I don't know. Like, and I forget their name. Don't do that. Like, try not to do that. Like, it might sound old-fashioned, and you can contextualize it how you want. You don't have to shake everyone's hand. I don't know. You can, I don't know, hug someone. But the point is, in doing this, we show others, especially those that don't look like us, those who don't talk like us, those who don't believe what we believe, that we see them and that we value them as people. As men and women created in God's image. And for those of us here who are kind of A-grade extroverts, where this is like your bread and butter, you love this, it's not that for everyone. It can be hard. If you're an introvert, It's hard. It's hard to do this. Practicing hospitality is hard. Talking to people might be hard. 
Maybe you have social anxiety. It gets even harder. It's a whole other dynamic. But showing hospitality means stepping out of your comfort zone. It means doing stuff that you might not normally be comfortable with. It means praying that God will just bless you with a comfort or a grace. Just be able to step out. Take that little step out. And it could just be the first thing could be, hey, just, let me just try and greet people. Actually engage with other people. Who are outside my normal kind of crew. Outside the people I feel most comfortable with. It's baby steps. So welcome everyone you meet. Value them as people. People made in God's image. And the second way we show hospitality um, is engage with people. Like we need to remember every single person is eternal. Every single person you meet is an eternal being. I don't ever think about that. I did that this week and it was crazy. Like C.S. Lewis talks about it. He's a, an author who wrote Narnia about how everyone you come across, every human you meet, there's someone who's an eternal being, who has value, who has worth, who is made in the image of God in some way. They bear God's image in some way. And because of that, we care. We take interest in other people's lives. We see Jesus do it throughout the Gospels. It's not overly difficult again. Something helpful could just be asked open-ended questions. Like, what do, you, what do you do with yourself? I'm an accountant. What does a week of an accountant look like? What does your Tuesday look like? What's, what's a different week look like for you? How do you, how do you become an accountant? I don't know. Like, you know, nothing, it's not rocket science. Like, it's pretty simple stuff. But it's little, little questions to show, hey, I, I care. Hey, you're, you're known. You're valued. Hey, I'm taking interest in your life. Like, get to know people. Try and take a genuine interest in people. It could be, hey, tell me about your life. Oh, you're married. How, do you, how, how are you finding married life? Oh, I hate that question to ask that. What's it like being, like, what's, what are some of the good things about being married? Hey, what's, what's some of the hard things about being married? How did you guys meet? And you might hear that and you might, you might think, shivers, that's pretty personal. Like, I wouldn't do that, that's... that's who is my, how's it my role to do that? Who am I to ask someone those personal questions? You, I think you'll find, more often than not, you'll be surprised by how willing people are to talk about that type of stuff, to engage on that level of depth. Because we live in a world where everyone knows everyone, but no one actually knows anyone. Like, we live in a world where Facebook can tell you, oh, I've got a thousand friends, but yet no one really knows you. No one asks you those types of questions. No one speaks truth into your life. No one gives you wise counsel. That people are hungry to be known. People are hungry to have those types of conversations that go beyond how was your weekend. And the third way we show hospitality is through the obvious one that we've been talking about, which is make meals of people a priority. Um, I'll just quickly add to what we've spoken a lot about. So we eat 21 times-ish a week. Maybe you snack more, but you have t- probably 21 times where you, you sit down for a meal or have a meal a week. Uh, so this is something that we're already doing. You're not adding something, anything extravagant to your life. It's not adding something new in. It's not more work, really. This is something that we're already doing. It's just being intentional with it. 
And we often make excuses for this one. Like things like, I still live at home. My apartment is a mess. Welcome to everyone's life. Like, I don't know how to cook. I'm an introvert. I have little kids who go to bed early and sometimes I need a divine act of God to help me put them to bed early. Like, our apartment's too small. Like, there's a few, like, there's so many excuses where you can keep coming up with excuses time and time. And I do this. I've done this. Maybe not the kids' one, but every single other one of them, I've used those in the past. Like, if you live at home, your apartment... Sorry, if you live at home where your apartment's too small, invite yourself to someone else's house, right? It might sound, whoa, that's a bit too much. But do it. Jesus did it. You've got to do what Jesus did. Invite yourself, maybe invite yourself to someone's house. Go out to a restaurant. Go to have a picnic at a park. If you can't cook, jump on YouTube. We all have access to the internet. If you're living in Cronulla, we've been blessed with the NBN. You jump on YouTube, you type in how to make a stir-fry, how to make a, a pasta or a homemade pizza. You get a thousand videos there, watch one, do it, and there you go, you're a cook. You're Jamie Oliver, right? Because there's, there's ways around it. If your apartment's messy, clean it, right? Huge, I know, massive. <laughs> Airtasker, right? If you're rich, get someone on Airtasker to do it. I don't know, there's ways around it. If, you, if money is a problem, which that's a reality. If money is a problem and you, you don't have the money, maybe you're living on Centrelink, you can still budget a little bit of money, maybe once a fortnight, whenever you get it, for hospitality. Hey, this is, this is the amount of money that I'm, I'm just putting aside for hospitality, whether it's I'm buying extra stuff at Coles or Woolies, whether it's, oh, this is money that I can buy someone lunch one week at work. Hey, I'm, I'm going to pay for this person's coffee. Oh, I'll take this person out. I'll pay for their groceries even. Like it's, it's kind of budget better. Like these, these aren't mind-bending things that we can't overcome. And like we saw in Luke 19, it's not just practicing hospitality with your good friends or your gospel community or your family, but those who maybe believe differently to you. And finally, the fourth one is love the outsider. In every workplace, in every neighbourhood or apartment block or suburb, there are people, for whatever reason that may be, are kind of outliers in our social circles or communities. Maybe it's because they're, they're new to the area. Maybe it's because they have kind of deep struggles that are buried kind of deep down that make them um, different or difficult to, to be around or to love. Like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes for people. Maybe they're just wired differently and they think differently to you. That's okay. If we all have people in our lives like this, and more often than not, we, we tend to avoid these people. We kind, of, we kind of put them onto the outer. We keep them at a distance. We write them off. But we need to remember that Jesus would have moved towards those people. That's what we see in his ministry throughout Luke's gospel. Like he, he eats and drinks with people that were high, not normally people that people ate and drank with. He was hospitable to the outsiders. And after all, he moved towards us. Like I said at the beginning, while we were still outsiders, while we were still on the outer, 
Well, we'll um, like however awkward and distant we may felt, like he, he moved towards us, and that's nothing compared to the distance that we feel or that we have between the holy God of the universe and us sinners who rebel against him. And yet, we see in Romans 5, verse 8, that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we show radically ordinary hospitality. It's because while we were still in the outer, while we were still at a distance, like Jesus died for us. Like being hospitable, whatever form that may be, whether that's eating or drinking, whether that's interacting with people that you don't, don't normally interact with, whether it's going to a restaurant, whether it's loving people in tangible ways. Like it's hard. It's costly. Emotionally, financially, physically, spiritually. We have, we have to step out of our comfort zone. Like we have to be willing to, to take up the cost because that cost for us has already been paid. Like it costs Jesus everything so we can show radically ordinary hospitality to those outside. And while it costs energy and money and time and all those things, we know that it's worth it. And as we live out our faith in the 21st century, in Australia, as it gets harder and harder and more post-Christian, as people won't want to be coming to hear things about Jesus. They tell you what they will love. They'll love it if you invite them over to the house because that's profoundly countercultural. Invite them over to your house, love them, share them a, a basic meal, show interest in their life, treat them like a human being, treat them as they're valued and loved and, and bear God's image. And if an opportunity arises, you share your faith with them. If you shout someone dinner, they go, oh, why, why you don't have to do this for me? Why are you doing this for me? Share your, that's an opportunity. Share your faith. Hey, I, I, this is why. And it's, it's little simple ways that will have profound eternal impact with God's kingdom. And if we want to see hundreds of people establish life in Jesus in Cronulla, like this, this is one of the key ways we need to move forward. Not just relying on our gatherings, not just relying on events that we throw, but you guys stepping out of your comfort zones and practicing radically ordinary hospitality, whatever that looks like for you, whatever your context is like, whatever barrier you need to overcome, and praise be to God, he'll, he'll use it. And I'm excited to see God use that because of who Jesus are, we are called to be hospitable and practice hospitality. I'm going to pray that we can do that. Father, we thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion against you, while we were still outsiders, while we still held you at a distance, Father, thank you that you loved us, that you sent Jesus to die for us, that you welcome us in and invite us to dine at your table. Father, help us see to live like Christ. Help us not just hear about who we are in you over the past 10 weeks, 
and just forget it or go about our daily lives as normal. Father, help us see to, to live out who you've called us to be. Empower us by your spirit to do so. Help us step out of our comfort zone in, in loving people and practicing that hospitality. Help us be hospitable with all things. Help us practice radically ordinary hospitality as an overflow of the grace and hospitality that you've shown us. And Father, we pray that as we do that, that we can see people find life in you. That they can feel the real tangible love of Christ. Father, we long for you to use that in profound ways for your glory. And Father, we pray that you do that. We pray that in Jesus' beautiful and precious name now. Amen.